Okay, it's working. All righty. You guys remember Zach Hunter? Yeah. He's in the back. Give it up for Zach. Let's give it up for Zach. Yeah, that was just a nervous tick of mine before I start. Um, so my name is Alexia, and I actually haven't met a lot of you. I for unfortunately had to start the semester about a month later, but I'm really excited that I get to be here with you guys. And if I haven't met you, I would really love to meet you. I'd love for you to introduce yourself and love to get to know you, grab coffee or whatever, and just hear your story. Um, but today, I have the privilege of teaching through 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. So if you guys have your Bibles or your phones, go ahead and get those out and start flipping there. Um, but, so just like a little overview of what we've been learning in the past few weeks in the book of 1 Peter, is that there is a theme throughout the book of 1 Peter, is that we are living, we're holy people. We are set apart people for the glory of God. And 1 Peter, his audience are Christians who are being socially persecuted by those around them, by their society, by their coworkers, their peers, anyone around them that isn't a Christian, they are being socially persecuted. And again, last week, Alex walked us through that we are a royal priesthood, a holy people set apart for the glory of God. And so starting in verse 11, we're going to take this little chunks of verses, um, you know, by piece by piece, and then we're going to talk about what the intended meaning of this passage is. Um, and so before we begin, I really do want to pray for us really quick and then jump into the text. So bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, um, gracious Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your word that is living and active. Father, that these truths, these hard truths are for our good and for our sanctification, God, but ultimately for your will and for your glory, Lord. So, Father, I just pray that you would work in and through your word and in and through all of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, verse 11, we're going to go ahead and just jump right in. Uh, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Strangers and exiles. Peter is addressing these people as strangers and exiles, which he's essentially saying as people who don't really belong here, as people who are called to be set apart, as people who are just passing through for a time being and are ultimately reaching the goal of being completely with the Lord, as people who are not acting like the rest of the world, as strangers and exiles, we are called to abstain from the sinful desires that wage war against the soul. And Peter is really urging them to abstain from sinful desires. And that is something that we are commanded to do at all times with the help of the Spirit. But there's a specific reason why Peter is urging them to abstain from sinful desires. And we see that in verse 12. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. At this time, the early church was growing in numbers. They were growing in reputation. Um, a lot of people were joining the church. And because of this, this made non-Christians really angry. They didn't like that they were growing, that they were following Jesus. And so they started accusing them, falsely accusing them of crazy things that they very much didn't do. And so Peter is urging them to abstain from sinful desires and conduct themselves honorably among them so that when they do slander them, so that when they falsely accuse them, they will observe their good works, that ultimately their testimony will very well disprove the claims that they are making. 
that the claims that they are making don't match up with their lives, that their lives are godly, that they are living as holy people. They're abstaining from those things. And so Peter really wants their testimony to prove that, to prove who they are in Christ Jesus and set apart for the glory of God. But not only so that they know that they are followers of Jesus and that they really didn't do these things, but so that the hope is that they will come to know the Lord. The hope is that by their good works, that by their behavior, by their conduct, people will come to know the Lord. And so Peter's like, this is what's most important is that they will know Jesus. And so Peter wants them to remain faithful in every area, even when it doesn't benefit them, even when they're slandered, even when they're falsely accused. He really wants them to remain faithful. And so now, because he wants them to remain faithful in every area, he is now going to talk to them about the government. So verse 13 through 15, Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority, or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, and honor the emperor. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord. Peter is explaining and telling these people that they need to submit to their human authorities because the Lord has placed them there. The Lord has placed them there, and by their submission to authority, they are being called to be law-abiding citizens, to abide by the law. And Peter is explaining the roles of the government as well, that ideally, in an ideal world, the government functions to punish those that do what is evil and reward those that are doing good. But unfortunately, like we talked about earlier, is that these people were being falsely accused of things, so they were suffering unjustly. And the government at this time also wasn't a friend to Christians. They didn't really like them, and it wasn't a democracy. And so the Lord, and so Peter is explaining them that they, regardless of how they are being treated, are to submit to their government. Now, they, we are to obey our government. They are to obey their authorities and the law enforcers that are in this area, but there are some exceptions. And we're not to use these exceptions as a way to misuse our freedom in the gospel, an example is in Acts chapter 5, where Paul is preaching to the people in Rome, and he is arrested and taken to court, and they commanded him and told him, stop preaching the gospel, stop telling people about this Jesus, please stop teaching these people what you are following. And Paul says, no, I'm not doing that, I'm going to keep preaching the name of Christ. And so they were flogged and beaten for their preaching of the gospel. And instead of fighting injustice with injustice, he walked away worshiping the Lord that he was worthy enough to suffer for the name of Jesus. And this isn't a fear that we have. We, a lot of the exceptions that are in the Bible, we really, that come to not obeying our government, really don't pertain to us in the Western world because we have a lot of freedom. We have a government where we can say what we want, kind of really explain our opinion, give our opinion, and, you know, say whatever we want to say. But these people, if they were caught preaching the gospel, and even in some parts of the world today, if they are caught having churches in the specific areas that they're in, they are arrested and they are sometimes martyred and sometimes beaten. They have severe consequences to following Jesus. And we don't have this fear. Fortunately, we live in a world, and a part of the world, where we are able to talk about the Lord, where we are able to freely preach the gospel. 
And so we are called to be slaves of righteousness, adopted by God, ultimately knowing that we submit to the Lord who is over all authority. And so therefore, we are commanded in verse 17 to honor everyone, love brothers and sisters, fear God, and honor the emperor. And then in verse 18, we're going to talk about a different form, a different area where people are called to submit. Verse 18, household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. Okay, we're going to pause here for a second and talk about what slavery is in this context, what it is in the Bible. Um, it is not what we know slavery to be. Slavery that we know to be is chattel slavery, which is the selling of people as property to do forced labor. And this is not condoned by God. This is not accepted by God. People throughout history misuse this specific text to say that the Lord condones slavery. And that is just not true. That is not the character of God. We were all made in God's image. Every life is precious to God. And he created every race, every ethnicity. And he wants all people to be in unity and to come under his feet and submit to his lordship. Revelation 7, 19 says that he desires for all people, tribe, nation, and tongue to bow at his feet and to be in perfect unity and perfect harmony. This institution is despicable and a disgrace to the human civilization. And there is nowhere in scripture where this is affirmed or where this is approved of. Nowhere. That is not the Lord and that is not God's heart. And so I wanted to explain that because it's very easy for us to read this specific verse in our context and in what we know about history and what we know and what we have learned about slavery. And this is not what we know slavery to be. It's not. And it's not condoned by the Lord. Slavery in the Bible is more referred to as indentured servanthood. So if people had debts that they couldn't pay off, that they didn't have the finances for, they would go to this person who either lended, their, lended the money or owed them money, and they said, I can work for you for free for a period of time as long, until I can pay off my debts. And so then the master would tell them, okay, yeah, you can come. But the master was also required to give them food, to give them shelter, and to give them clothing. They were required to care for them as they were paying off their debts. And another way is for foreigners that were passing through or that were trying to get back, trying to get on their feet, they would come into a master's home and they would as well be taken care of and be shepherded by this master so that they could get back on their feet. The Greek word for slave is actually doulos, which could be translated as a servant or a bondservant. So it isn't a race-based organization, but it was more by circumstance and economics. And actually, in the Old Testament, every seven years, they were to be set free. The slaves were to be set free regardless if they paid off their debts, regardless if they did what they were supposed to do. Every seven years, the Lord commanded for them to be set free. And not only that, but they had to be sent off with clothing, with food, and with a way for them to survive as they journey back to wherever they're going. And the only way that they were able to not leave their master's home was if they wanted to stay. And a lot of the times they did want to stay because they were being taken care of and they were being, they had a home. They loved the family that they were a part of. And so a lot of them wanted to stay. They were treated like humans. They had a legal and social status in the first century Greco-Roman world. And so what Peter is exhorting them to do is that if you have a cruel master or a loving master, we are to submit. 
and to be faithful. Verse 19, for if it brings, for it brings favor, if because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor to God. So what Peter is saying is that if you do something wrong and have a consequence for it, why are you complaining pretty much? If you have some self-inflicted suffering from your master or your boss or whoever that may be, there's not really room to complain. However, but if your suffering is a result of unjust judgment or an unjust master or overseer or authority, then it is honoring to God. And honestly, that verse was something I personally wrestled with. I had to repent and believe because in my mind I was thinking, so suffering unjustly is honorable to the Lord. Suffering unjustly is honorable to the Lord. And I sat with that, but the more I read the text and the more I studied the text, I understood that it's not for nothing, that these people aren't suffering for nothing, that they are suffering for the sake of Christ, holding on to the hope that they have in Christ Jesus, that they are suffering, understanding that ultimately the Lord has vengeance and the Lord has judgment. So if you suffer unjustly by submitting, even when it's unfair, for turning the other cheek, for being mistreated, this isn't overlooked by the Lord. It actually brings favor to him. The Lord sees all of the things that we do for his name. The Lord sees all of the works and all of the effort that we put in to praising him and to loving him. Hebrews 6.10 talks about this, how the Lord does not overlook anyone's, anyone that, anything that they do for the sake of his servants, but that he judges justly and rewards each one according to what they're doing. And we have the perfect example. Peter is going to point them back to the perfect example that they have of someone who suffered unjustly. Verse 21, for you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in body on that tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. And by his wounds, we have been healed. Christ suffered unjustly. Christ was sinless. He was perfect. He did no wrong. Yet he suffered so that we may obtain a right relationship with the Lord. He suffered so that we might obtain a personal relationship with the Lord. He suffered so that we may have companionship and a unity with the Lord. We are no longer separated from God because of his unjust suffering. And in the end, he was rewarded for it by being highly exalted and seated at the right hand of the Father. He didn't commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he didn't insult in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. But he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He entrusted himself to who the Lord is. He entrusted himself to the just judgment of God. And so, verse 25 says, For you are like sheep gone astray but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He is with you because he entrusted himself, because Jesus entrusted himself. They have a hope that by submitting to their earthly authorities, by those that are persecuting them, by those that are treating them poorly, they are submitting to God and that there is a hope at the end of all of their suffering. And submission is vital 
to their pursuit of the Lord. It's part of the Christian life. Submission to authority is submission to God. That is what Peter is exhorting them to do, is that by your submission, you are honoring the Lord, regardless of how you are being treated. It is submission to the Lord. So for us, why is it so hard for us to submit? Why do we get so angry and caught up with people telling us what to do, who are in a position to tell us what to do? Why do we get so fed up and irritated by their leadership? What is it that is keeping us from just clenching our fist and submitting to whoever's entrusted with us? Why is it so hard for us? So we're going to take a little break and then talk about that in the second half. So. Okay, go and listen to it. It's called The Table of SU if you guys want to go listen to it. Um, guys, Emma and Mason are getting married. Give it up for the future Brattons. Isn't that awesome? I had to say something to ease off the nerves, you know, because it's just, you know, it's so fun getting to teach on these things. It's great. Okay, anyways. <laughs> All right, so submission. Why is it so hard? <laughs> Why is it so hard for us to submit? I know that there are a lot of things that are hard for me on why it's so hard for me to submit, but we are going to go through the example of someone in the Bible who I believe s- submitted really, really well. So in Genesis 37 through 39, we are given the example of Joseph. And Joseph was, um, had the ability to interpret dreams. He was given a gift by God and was given a dream by God that his family would bow down to him and that he would be over them. And Joseph's life was really, really hard. And it was because of his submission to the Lord and to his authority. So I'm going to give you guys three different scenarios where the first one where Joseph submitted to his father and his father loved him. He was actually the favorite. Joseph was the favorite. Out, and it says that in the Bible that his dad explicitly said, this kid is my favorite out of all the kids that I got. And so he was the favorite. And so submitting to his father was easy for him, right? Submission to his father was easy. It was simple because he knew that he gained favor with his father. But then his brothers were jealous of this, and so they sold him into slavery. And so then he ended up in the home of a man named Potiphar. And he was in Potiphar's home, was his servant, and Potiphar actually really likes Joseph. Um, but if you think about it, Joseph could have acted out of bitterness, could have very much said that this isn't fair, so I'm not going to do my job well. I'm not going to submit to my authority well. I'm not going to serve Potiphar in a way that I know is best because I am here not by my own choice. I am not here because I did anything, but because I was here unjustly. But because he understood that his submission to Potiphar was vital and essential to his ultimate submission to the Lord, that he submitted to all that he asked and actually ended up gaining favor with Potiphar. He actually ended up um, being one of like the overseers of his property and of his things. And so he actually got favoritism from Potiphar. But then Potiphar's wife came along and she approached Joseph and she wanted him to sleep with her. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. I am going to honor 
Potiphar, but ultimately I'm going to honor the Lord. I will not submit to this because it will cause me to sin. And she keeps insisting and insisting and insisting, but Joseph stood firm in his commitment to the Lord. He stood firm in his submission to the Lord, and so he didn't. And this made Potiphar's wife really angry, and so she then accused Joseph of attacking her when he really didn't. And so Joseph got thrown into prison, and he submitted to those authorities. He said, I am here. I don't deserve to be here. I am not here. I wasn't able to have an opportunity to explain myself or to explain the situation, but I'm going to just submit to these authorities. But then the Pharaoh had a dream that he couldn't, couldn't interpret, and he heard about Joseph that he could interpret these dreams. And so the Pharaoh called for Joseph and asked him to interpret his dream. And Joseph could have easily acted out of anger, out of bitterness, and could have just looked at him in the face and said, I will not help you. I know I'm the only one that can help you, but I don't want to help you because you threw me in here unjustly, because I was in here for something that I didn't do. He could have very easily looked at him and said that and acted, acted in a way that was contrary to what he was asking him to do. But instead, he submitted to Pharaoh and interpret his, interpreted his dream. And then that ended up gaining favor with Joseph yet again. And then he then was someone who oversought the things of Pharaoh. And, his, and then that dream that the Lord gave him ended up fulfilling, f- coming into fruition. And so we see that in all of these situations, in the really good and in the really hard and in the unjust, he handled it with grace and integrity. He held on to God's promise. He held on to the promise that God was with him, that the Lord was with him. He held on to that. Even though I don't want to submit to these authorities, even though I don't want to submit to these people, the Lord is my ultimate authority, so I'm going to submit. Joseph knew that he wasn't asked to execute justice. And we aren't asked to execute justice. That's for the Lord to do. He asks us to submit. And part of our submission is a part of God avenging us. He will avenge us. It's a part of the process. Our submission is part of the process of God doing that for us. And this isn't a call to suffer. It's to act differently when suffering happens as a result of our submission. In Hebrews 10.30, it says, For we know the one who has said, Vengeance will belong to me, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. The Lord is the ultimate judge. Romans 12.9, Friends, do not avenge yourself. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, sends the Lord. Psalm 94.1-2, Lord, God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine. Rise up, judge the earth, repay the proud with what they deserve. The Lord is the most perfect judge, and he will see and judge everyone according to what they have done. And this has to be good enough for us when it comes to our submission to man. So what does this look like for us? What does it look like for us to submit? Well, for me, I have a boss, and she told me I could tell this story because I think it's hilarious. But we were joking around, and I probably did something to deserve it, and it was being, we were being silly. But she ends up, I probably said something, I don't know what I said, but she threw a cup of water at me and I back up and so there's just a puddle of water all over the floor. And she looks at me and she goes, okay, now pick this up. And in my mind, I think, 
you threw this at me. Like you were the one that chugged this water at me and now it's all over the place. It has a huge mess and you're telling me to pick it up. You did this. I didn't say that, but I wanted to. And so, but I, in my mind, I think, okay, well, she's my boss and I have to submit to her. I actually get to submit to her. I have the privilege of submitting to her. She's actually really awesome. She's not mean. It was just something funny, but but I got to submit to her and I cleaned up that mess and honestly not with a great attitude, but I did it because the Lord put her in that authority position for my good and for the order of the place. I have parents who I need to submit to still. My credit score doesn't really let me be on my own quite yet, so I kind of need my parents and so I have to submit to them. I get to submit to them. And so there's a lot of things that they help me with and provide for me in a way where I need to submit to my parents still. Even when I feel independent, even when I live on my own and have my own things, I'm still not really on my own. I still need my parents. I have roommates who I need to submit to. I share a room with Sarah Braun. <laughs> and woo! I love Sarah. And I need to submit to her by being really quiet when I wake up in the mornings or when she wakes up in the mornings and goes to CrossFit. She goes to CrossFit, everyone. And she, so I get to submit to her. I get a privilege to submit to her and to serve her in that way. Submission sometimes isn't fun. It really isn't fun. And I asked Rachel if I could talk about this, but Rachel and I have been friends for a while. We've been friends for a really long time. And I love her. And so when we were first thinking about um, when she, we were first talking about her, like in the process of get, of being in this position and being in this job, we like joke around like, Oh, you're going to be my boss. Like, that's weird. You're going to be my boss. Like you're going to be like, you know, telling me what to do and all these things. And my initial thought was she's only a year, like a year over a year older than me. Like, should I, do I really need to submit to her? Do I really need to follow like the things that she's telling me to do? But the reality is, is that the Lord showed me that she has gifts that are so vital to this team. She has a capacity to lead in ways that not many people can do. She has the knowledge of scripture that is so beneficial to everyone around her. And even though she's not much older than me, I have the privilege of submitting to her. And I have the privilege of getting to submit to her in the same way that I submit to Randy, in the same way that I submit to Drew, in the same way that I submit to Alec. I have the privilege of submitting to them in the same way because they have been put in authority over me, even if by the world standards, it doesn't make sense. So for us, we submit to people that really aren't fun to submit to. We submit to professors by doing the things that they ask us to do, even when it seems ridiculous to write three papers in one week or to post a discussion post that really is unnecessary in our eyes, which probably is, but you know, it, we can submit to them. But submitting to them and what they have asked us to do to our elders who are over us and who instruct us in the word, we submit to them. And to our friends, we submit to each other by getting rid of our selfishness and just doing what the Lord asks us to do. So why is it so hard? Why is it so hard for us? Well, I can think of reasons that include myself in this, is that we want control. We want control of situations. We want control over what we can do and what we can't do. We want control over the things that we are told to do. We don't like what we are told to do, and 
So we just want to take over whatever it may be. We think our way is best. We think that our judgment is way better than our parents' judgment. Our judgment is way better than the table staff's judgment. Our judgment is better than anyone else's and that our way is best. That our way is best and if I had the opportunity to execute this, then this would go perfectly. This would go the way that it's supposed to be. And the bottom line is that we are just selfish people. We are really selfish. And we really, really just want to take over all of the things that have to do with authority in our lives. We want the ultimate authority. But here's the thing, is that submission leads to maturity. Submission to our authority and ultimately submission to God leads to maturity. Regardless of if it's a ideal situation, regardless if it's a bad situation, or if it's really working in our favor by submitting to our authority, it leads to maturity. It's producing an endurance in us. And we trust the Lord by submission. We trust the Lord by submission. And what we need to do, really, and I'm talking to myself, is that I just need to get over myself and realize that it's not about me. Submission to our authorities, regardless of who they are, is not about me. It's about the glory of God, and it's about ultimately submitting to Him and living honorable lives so that others may see Jesus. That's the point of our submission. The point isn't for us to feel good about ourselves or to do what we want to do or to get angry and start slandering people with slandering our professors or whoever it may be for, because we're angry at them. It's not about us. It's about the Lord. But also, guys, there's so much grace there. There is so much grace, and we aren't alone in this. We aren't alone. The church is here to walk alongside you when you are suffering for the sake of submitting to an authority that really is actually unjust and unfair. The church is here to encourage you, to uplift you, to point you to the promise that is to come, which is Jesus. That's what the church is here for. That's what other Christians are here for, is to walk alongside you as we submit to Him and to each other. That's the point. And so how can we handle authority that we don't really agree with? So one of the first ways is that we can pray for our leaders God has placed over us. Praying for people makes it a lot easier to submit to their authority. It makes it a lot easier. Pray for a posture of submission and respect for those in authority over you. Pray for a posture of submission and respect for those in authority over you. This is only given to us by God. Three, look for ways to speak well of those in authority over you. Look ways to compliment your authority that you just really don't like. Compliment them on something. I know in, in your minds, in my mind, I can think of some authority, and I'm like, there's really nothing good to say, but there's something, even if it's their shoes or something, I don't know. But just something good about them. Think of something good. Number four, find ways to come alongside your authority by encouraging them and helping them. Find ways to come alongside your authority by encouraging them and helping them. When you come alongside whoever it may be that's in leadership over you, it can be a lot easier to understand why they may be the way that they are. It will be a lot easier to sympathize with them and to care for them in a way where it just makes sense. Oh, this is why they may be acting a little bit more cruel than my other boss, 
or, oh, this is why my parents were a little bit more angry about me. It's because they're going through this right now. They're wrestling with this right now. Regardless of what it is, walking alongside them, serving them and helping them in whatever way is really helpful in understanding why they may be the way that they are. And guys, at the end of the day, our ultimate, our submission to authority, our leadership, our friends, or whoever it may be, leads to an ultimate submission to God. And the only way that we can do this well is by submitting to the Lord. So for you Christians, those that are are in Christ Jesus, for you guys that are submitting to God on a daily basis, this is an opportunity for you to seek out these ways to better have have a better eye, greater eyes on the respect for respect of your authority. This is a way for you to see your authority the way that the Lord sees them, is that they were appointed by Him and entrusted with you. And for those of you who haven't submitted to the Lord, who haven't given your life to the Lord, I promise you that submitting your life to Jesus is the greatest decision that you can make. It brings abundant life. It brings a joy that is beyond comprehension. It brings a life that actually has purpose, even when it's hard. And so for all of us, for those that don't know the Lord, I pray that you would see Jesus, see the gift that he is, that he suffered unjustly. He suffered for the sake of you and for the sake of the glory of God. He suffered for the sake of our righteousness, for our right standing with the Lord. And because he suffered, we now have the opportunity to entrust ourselves. Oh, man. Have the opportunity to entrust ourselves to the greater one, to the one who judges justly. And we can hold on to that hope that God, that the Father will repay and will bring vengeance to those who are against God's people. I just pray that you really see this today. And I pray that we may be people who trust the authority that God has placed over us. And that through our submission to our bosses, to our professors, to our parents, and to whoever has leadership over your life, would be drawn to Jesus. And so let that motivate you, that people, through your submission to them, will be drawn to Jesus. Let me pray for us, and then we'll be done. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for our authority. Lord, I thank you for those that are placed over us in leadership, who have been entrusted with us, God. Father, I thank you for your love for us, God. Thank you for Jesus who entrusted himself to the one who judges justly, Lord. Father, I thank you for us who are Christians that have the opportunity to um, to glorify you through our obedience to you, Lord, and through our submission to others. God, I pray that we would make much of you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.